For my ally is the Force, and a powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the Force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Jedi, like my father before me. You don't know the power of the dark side. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Welcome to episode 105 of the Blue Harvest Ding Dong Power Hour. I'm your host, Hals Burkhart. And I'm your host, Will Witten. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest for you guys this week. I personally like to refer to this person as the songbird of a generation. I believe he is going for the crown of song parody champions. And I believe in just a few years, maybe even months, his all Kia D concept album will be racing to the top of the charts. We affectionately call him Steve a D, but he is really known as Steve McMahon. Good evening, fellas. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Welcome. It's good to have you here. Uh, so good to be with you guys. Long time coming. I believe the first conversation I ever had with my good buddy Steve here was on Facebook, which is where we, we typically chat. And I yeah. believe he was very politely correcting Will and I's pronunciation <laughs> of Prince Shizor from well, Shadows of the Empire. And... In your defense, and it's come up before, especially after uh, Bloodline came out and Claudia Gray correct tried to correct the pronunciation of Casterfo and Castrofo. Right. I think it's just up for the author's interpretation, but I'm an audiobook whore, so I hear all these names, and if one of them's just a little off, I start to well, yeah, I you, start to shake a little. You sit there and you listen to the audiobook for 12 hours, so you know that's mm -hmm. definitely enough time to get at least that pronunciation of uh of the character in your head so i i could i totally get that um did you know that we were mispro speaking of mispronunciations did you know that we were supposedly mispronouncing kia d oh yeah i Yo, uh, I, I yeah, and, saw that and you just went with it in the song it 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 flowed way better as I gotcha. than kia d than kiati kiati mundi yeah yeah. <laughs> Did Espe you know? Especially oh, yeah. Song. Well, I'm just saying, if you ever have another 
key a D song in the hopper and want to use the correct pronunciation, we could just make this shit real confusing for everybody. I, I, I really like the idea of that. But whichever works better. I'm probably just going to keep barreling ar- along with Kia D. Mundy. Oh, sure. Because that's my se- southern patoose. The second song that I've got lined up is not going to have the proper pronunciation. I know that much. Awesome. Well, so. um, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a, there's a tiny little bit of news and stuff to, dis- to discuss this week. news. So we're going to jump right into that, but before we do that, how about I give you guys the business? I've been waiting for the business. <laughs> you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blue Harvest Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Blue Harvest Pod. Email us at blueharvestpodcast at gmail.com. And you can Buy all our shirts and whatnot at tpublic.com slash user slash Blue Harvest Podcast. Steve. uh, Yes, sir. Have you ever listened to any of the podcasts on the Making Star Wars Podcast Network? I have. I'm a frequent listener of this podcast, uh, Rogue One. Now this is podcasting. Steel Wars. And I'm a fan of Tarkin's Top Shelf. They they stick to book reviews, so every time I plow through a book, I look for their podcast to get a different take on it. Well, would you look and at I, that? I called a, a, a mid-business audible, passed the ball off to my buddy Steve, <laughs> and he ran that shit right into the end zone. That's right. We are. Touchdown. So I'm, sure the, I'm sure the other podcasts on the network are great. It's just I only have enough time in the car. So. <laughs> yeah, I get you, buddy. I've run out of uh, it, some. It's weird. Some weeks I'm like, I don't have any podcast to listen to, and then other weeks it's like, well, I'm seven deep, and I gotta try and get through all these while I'm working. Mm-hmm. So we are very excited to be part of that amazing Making Star Wars podcast network, where you can check out those podcasts that Steve mentioned, along with other such great podcasts as Rebel Girl, Idiots Array. Uh, first order transmissions in the cargo hold. So there's a little business for you guys. You know who that has good business? Who has mm-hmm. not had a good PR week or a PR Lucas business Films. week? Lucasfilm. They have had a little headache going on this week, and of course, this is going to be the big story we talk about. It's going to be of the course. story you hear every Star Wars podcast talking about. For months to come. You will hear this story coming up again whenever this movie comes out. Uh, This week on Tuesday, Tuesday evening, at least where I live, uh, it was announced that Christopher Miller and Phil Lord, the directors for the as-yet-unentitled Star Wars Han Solo story spinoff movie, uh, were let go. They were fired. And Cited over creative differences. Yeah, and there's been some more detail about these creative differences that have come out. Um, from, Go ahead, Will. I was just going to say, from what I read, and I'm sure Hawes has more detailed information, but the articles that I've read cited the fact that um, Lawrence Kasdan and his son apparently wrote the screenplay and... Right. Uh, they were very staunch to where they wanted the 
the directing to hold tight to what the screenplay wrote. And Phil Lord and Chris Miller are very receptive to uh, improvisation and kind of freestyling on set. And they just complete, you know, completely things broke down over that that single difference. From okay. you know, from what I understood, I'm sure there's more. Yeah, I'll fill in. There is. There's a lot more. Um, well, I don't know about a lot more, but that is, that's the basics. You you definitely hit what appears to be the basic issue. Um, before we get into that, Steve, uh, what was your mm-hmm. initial thought when you heard about this? Uh, oh crap! <laughs> yeah, that's a good no. one. Because. When they first announced the project as a whole, the Han Solo movie, I—I'll be frank—I—I I wasn't excited about it. I was—I was very worried, only because of—I'm such a big Han Solo fan and Harrison Ford. It—it it took me a while to get my head wrapped around the idea of somebody else playing the character, regardless of it being a younger version of Han Solo, and. I didn't really know the directors. Uh, I didn't see any of those Jump Street movies. Didn't interest me. Trash comedy, whatever. I saw the Lego movie that came out a few years ago. That was fun. And my, I think my, yeah. kids have seen the, I seen, my kids have seen the cloudy movies. But I really didn't know these guys. So I gave them a shot. I jumped on board. They started putting the cast together. I was excited. And... Lo and behold, the dudes get fired, and uh, I didn't know what to think. It was a it was a weird like eighteen to like twenty four to thirty six hours before the next announcement came out. Yes, yes, uh, did not take long for a no. replacement director to be announced. We'll get to that in just a second, um, and what you guys feel about the choice. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean, immediately upon seeing the news, I was just like, what the fuck, man? Another one? Like, if you think about the track record so far, thus far it seems the only movie, knock on wood, that has gone smoothly in this Disney era of Star Wars is The Last Jedi. The Force Awakens had a little bit of shakeup early on with the firing of Michael Arndt and J.J. Abrams and Kasdan taking over the script. And then, of course, Han Solo himself, Harrison Ford, breaks his ankle just a couple of weeks into shooting and the whole production has to get shut down and there's all that. And then there's the well-documented and discussed issues with Rogue One and its director, Gareth Edwards, and all the reshoots involved. So... I hope this is just one of the most extreme versions of growing pains we've ever seen with a studio trying to, you know, get this yearly release of a franchise off the ground. Um, it's, uh, it is worrisome. I hope and pray that this is the last instance of something like this, especially a, a director getting replaced. Because, like, the the Han Solo stuff, or the uh, Force Awakens stuff with Harrison Ford breaking his ankle, there, there's no helping that. Like, that's just a freak accident. It sucks. It's, you know, I'm sure whatever caused that to happen, whatever slip up in protocol, like, that's a big fuck up on their part. But it's not something you can necessarily stop. Um, I hope 
their relations with directors and stuff in the future goes a little more smoothly. Mainly because I just don't like seeing Star Wars in the fucking crosshairs like this. And, and with people being like, see, it's going to be all fucked up. Get fucking worried. And it just makes me too anxious. All these problems just make me too anxious. Well, it's because you're scared. Like, like you've said before, we're going to live in the age where there's going to be a bad Star Wars movie. And you just like every time you're like, oh, don't let it be this one. Don't mm-hmm. let it be this one. I mean, that's the thing. If they continue on, I, I say it all the time. If it continues on this trajectory of one Star Wars movie every year, there's going to be a year where we're, where the general consensus is like, ooh, it was a bad year to be a Star Wars fan in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how bad a Star Wars movie would have to be for me to not like it. It hasn't happened yet. So uh, it would be interesting to see what they would have to do to make me not like it. And I'll say this, also being such a big Han Solo fan, fucking up Han Solo could do it. Could do it. And that's that's kind of my fear. You know, Hans, it, I agree with Steve. Like, in the beginning, I was not necessarily stoked that Han Solo was going to get his own movie because part of the mystique in A New Hope is that you know, he just seems some bar scoundrel out of nowhere and just, you know, he ends up having a heart of gold through his connection to these characters. You know, like, you assume he's just kind of a scoundrel like badass that doesn't give a shit. And then uh, it kind of grows on him. He gives a shit. And, um, but the way you're introduced to him there is so, I don't know, so fresh and nuanced. I was scared to get his backstory. Like, that may be too involved for how we meet him in A New Hope. Uh, you know, do you even need a Han Solo solo story? But the the more I thought about it, I got really psyched because there's awesome opportunity to, to explain him meeting Chewbacca and getting the Falcon and uh, Lando's backstory. Like, all that's really cool, and that's a cool opportunity. Um, the, the sad thing about the Phil Lord and Chris Miller not doing it is that they, they relocated their families to London to, to work on this project, as far as I know. And so now they either have to relocate again or find something else to do in London, which I'm, I'm sure won't be hard for the guys. But another part of me feels like <coughs> Disney and Lucasfilm should have seen a little bit of this coming. Like, you know, that's like... It's like hiring the class clown to do something and then being mad that they were joking all the time. Like, <laughs> you, you know, like, did they not watch 21 Jump Street? Like, it was real punchy and real kind of ridiculous and 22 Jump Street even more so. Like, I, I don't know that they, I, I, I'm not, I don't know their whole repertoire, but have they pursued something like serious action wise? Uh, not that, that I know I'm, of. So, so this would be their first experience with that. Yeah. I um, mean, you know, and, and comedic elements are going to be appreciated, but that's pretty much their strong suit. Ob- I mean, quite obviously to me, improvisational comedy is their shtick, you know, and if that wasn't what they wanted, uh, quite obviously they should have chose someone in the beginning. And now it makes that cast picture with the two of them and the whole cast of the Han Solo movie sitting in the Millennium Falcon cockpit makes that real awkward. Like, <laughs> like eek. Yikes! So, oh yeah, no. Our buddy Mike Pappas post posted that on Facebook. A couple of big red X's on their faces. And it was just, <laughs> it was, it was almost too much to handle on day one. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it is unfortunate that they moved their family there for this production. Now, I'm sure, like, I'm sure they're still compensated for their work. Like, I don't think I'm sure. Like, I'm but, sure you know, I'm money sure money isn't isn't you know, and I'm I'm sure they'll be fine. I'm sure it's a minor inconvenience for them. Mm. I don't know about minor. Uh, I would think if I was given the shot to direct Star Wars and then, you know, 80, 90% through the process was told, hey, this shit ain't working. You're, got, you're out. Like, I don't know if that would be considered a minor inconvenience for me. Probably feel like the biggest fuck up I'd ever made in my entire life. And um, it makes me want to see what they've shot so far. Like, what, ah, what you, was the right. what was shit the is, shot that, that, that broke the Lawrence Kasdan, Kathleen Kennedy back? That know? shit just got packed onto a rocket and shot into the sun. Like, we are <laughs> we are not going to see that. Just like we're not going to see, like, the original Gareth Edwards cut of Rogue One. And, and it makes sense why they wouldn't do that, because they don't want... They never want to give you the, oh, it would be better if it was that way option. Right. You know? Um, so Variety, EW, Hollywood Reporter, all the big like entertainment websites have been covering this. So if you want more information, you can go there. You can listen to Steel Wars' uh, emergency call-in show he did the, the night the, the news broke. You can go on Making Star Wars. All kinds of people have covered it. But from what I understand um, from everything I've read is that they were being a little too zany, going a little too far with the improv elements. And, you know, Lawrence Kasdan is sort of an old school Hollywood type guy where the script is what gets shot. And, you know, this, from what I understand, Kasdan was working on the Han Solo script with his son when he was being brought in to work on The Force Awakens. So this script has been around the Lucasfilm office in development for a little while now. Uh, I didn't realize it was that far back. Yeah, and uh, I think it was a matter of getting that. So what I'm saying is the script's probably been through the process of rewrites and stuff, and, and they had it at a point where they were like, this is the Han Solo movie we're looking to shoot. So, you know... And and I agree with you, Will, is uh, when you say that what were they expecting with the type of directors they hired? But you yeah. know, maybe those guys were like, "Look, we want the shot at this. We love Star Wars. We love Han Solo." And I mean, I understand that. And and you know, maybe they don't want to just be known as the CGI kids movie slash cheese dick Jonah Hill and what's his name uh, Channing comedy Tatum. Channing Tatum comedies. Like this could have been a huge step for their career, you know? Um, and from what I understand, it was just constant headaches, f like fighting over the tone of the movie, the improv stuff. And, you know, some reports have even said that some of the actors weren't necessarily that stoked with what was going on. And then apparently a couple of weeks ago, there was a rough cut put together Lucasfilm looked at it and was like, uh, whoa. <laughs> they were like, are you fucking kidding me? And <laughs> apparently the issue came down to whether the... So they went to the directors and there was five weeks. So there's about three and a half weeks left on the normal shooting schedule. 
and then five weeks of built-in sh- reshoots that were pre-planned. And the idea was Lucasfilm was going to have Lord and Miller go back and fix it in reshoots. Lord and Miller were not willing to do that. They were really resistant to that, from what I understand. So that is where it broke down, and they were let go. So so basically they shot a whole movie already? Well, yeah, the, so... And when we say rough cut... Yeah. Well, how much? How like hour? Like minutes wise? How how much is like a rough cut? I mean, a rough cut is in this case, it's probably, you know, a lot of the movie put together in sequential order without the big effect sequences, without some of the action stuff, and whatever else they had left to shoot in the last three and a half weeks, four weeks. So basically, all the dialogue scenes. To me, that sounds like what the majority of the movie is going to be fixed with the new director is is a lot of dialogue a lot of like the character moments a lot of the interactions between characters like the areas where you could put in some zany channing tatum fucking jonah hill stuff is yeah that kind of stuff is probably where the majority of the reshoots are going to take place like like pie fights in the cantina stuff like that oh my god who knows who knows (laughs) Uh, you know, and I agree, like you want there to be some humor, but I definitely think there's a certain tone of humor that would not feel right in Star Wars. And I am all for these spinoff movies, especially sort of taking risks with Star Wars. But when you push it too far, it's not good. Like, are either of you guys familiar with the Star Wars detours cartoon that was pretty much finished and shelved because Disney didn't want to put it out? Because they didn't Wasn't, feel like it. Was that the robot chicken guys? Yeah, Seth Green and those. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not too familiar with that. No, you should look it up. You should look up the trailer for Star Wars Detours at some point, and you can see why Disney would be hesitant to put it out. And it's it's real silly. It's real, and the jokes, the humor's bad. It's just bad humor, like not funny. <clears throat> so, you know. I'm torn. I wish that these guys could have finished the job and it would have just been gravy um, on one hand. And on the other hand, like I also feel like if you're given the opportunity to direct a Star Wars, you got to be willing to play ball a little bit with right. the upper management, you know? And it's not like this is a script by fucking... Um, who, who's the guy that did the original script for... Rogue One, the guy that's kind of a dickhead. Oh, shit, I can't remember his name. Anyway, it's not some no-name scriptwriter. It's Lawrence Kazan. It's not some yeah. no-name head of Lucasfilm. It's Kathleen Kennedy. Like, And these are young guys. I'm just saying, like, at some point, you got to think that they would look at the opportunity they're given, play ball a little bit, and have a chance to be associated with Star Wars and make you know, probably over a billion dollars at the box office. Um, how, what do you think about that whole thing, Steve? What do you think? Or, or do you wish they had finished it? Are you glad hearing these things that they're being changed over? Just your general feelings. What do you feel about it? Well, not having a lot to go on, um, the way that Rogue One ended, the way that the movie turned out, 
after they had brought on Tony Gilroy. Right. Uh, I was extremely happy with it. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping a similar, not a similar product, because Rogue One was, a, as far as I'm concerned, a completely different feeling of movie than what we're going to get with Han Solo. But the quality that we ended up getting after that transition from one director to the next was, was I thought, really good. And I was happy with it. So just fingers crossed. But right. we'll see. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I just feel like that this was done under the idea of making sure they put out a quality Star Wars movie and a quality Han Solo movie. Now, whether they made the best decision in getting rid of these directors to make that happen, who knows? Like, I just, right. I just want it to be good. So, if this is what it takes to get a, a good Han Solo movie that I enjoy, that I come out of the theater being like, fuck, yeah, that dude was Han Solo. That is what Han Solo was up to, you know, 10 years before A New Hope or wherever the fuck it's set. As long as I come out of the movie stoked on it, then this is just an unfortunate circumstance that had to happen to get us to that point. What about you, Will? How do you feel about the whole thing? I mean, I already feel like there's a precedent for this kind of thing, even with Disney <coughs> and in their Marvel universe. Like, there's a couple of things like this that have happened. Yep. In uh, the, in, now, in the, <laughs> not this late in the game. Not but this late in the game. Definitely. Edgar Wright get, being let go from Ant-Man. Patty yep. Jenkins, who just directed Wonder Woman, was signed on to direct Thor 2, and she left that project. Um, yeah, Thor, uh, yep. Joss Whedon, uh, at this point, pretty famously had uh, butted heads with Marvel on The Avengers 2. So, you know, it it's... It's the blessing it, and the curse of working for a company like Disney. The blessing and, and, is that, like, you go ahead, buddy. Uh, no, I was just, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, working with Disney, who is not scared to spend the money to get it right. And, you know, not scared to spend the money to get it right. Also knowing that they have to get it right. Because if you want these franchises to continue to be successful, you've got to get it right. Like the and the fan bases, while there might be some forgiveness, they're not entirely that forgiving. Angry nerds on the internet are not forgiving. Okay, yeah. like you've got to get it right, and <laughs> and they're you know they've got to make sure they do. So to me, this is all part of the game. When you have huge, um. For brands and franchises like we're talking about, I feel like this is just par for the course. It's sad that that happened and that it happened this late in the game. Uh, it's sad that you know these guys wanted to crucify themselves on the idea of creative, you know, uh, creative liberty. I guess I also read an article that was you know asking the question: Does Disney want their directors to have creative freedom when it comes to these franchises? And I mean, to me, there's a line. You got to walk the line. Like, yeah, yeah, you can have some creative freedom, but you know, you can't rewrite a script that Lawrence Kasdan wrote. I mean, it's also like, why fuck with a good thing? You, you know, right? I doubt that it's bad, especially with as much effort that he's put into it and how long he's been doing this. You know, if it was some unknown screenwriter, I'm sure that maybe you could have some great things to add, but. 
Dharma has I don't bad know things that to add. You're going to add a whole lot to what Lawrence Kasdan has, you know, and maybe, maybe these guys thought the comedic timing and the feel of it would loosen it up, but the, you don't want to go too far, man. You just don't want to go too far because then you lose, you lose what Han Solo is. Okay. This is something I've been thinking about this week, and I want to get both you guys' opinions on it. When you said you don't want to go too far with the comedy, I was thinking, like, there's a a good example of this where, like, I think if you put a Star Wars skin on the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, as much as I love those movies, I feel like if you go and replace all those characters with Star Wars characters and just leave it the same, it doesn't feel like Star Wars. Like, I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy is probably too far with the humor for Star Wars. And see, I don't I don't necessarily feel that way. It's got to be different characters. It can't be Han Solo, Lando Calrissian. It can't be that story and those characters. Chewbacca. If you had completely fresh and like Rogue One to me was basically a tragedy. Like if you think about it, like yeah. the story of Rogue One's basically a tragedy like uh but it, you could do a comedy, but it would have to be completely new characters. Like, I think it would be cool to have, you know, an Ocean's Eleven heist style, you know, kind of, you know, comedy thing. Like, I could do that, and that's very kind of Guardians of the Galaxy. But the thing where Guardians of the Galaxy relies on so heavily are pop references. Right, which you know, that's is part of, impossible that's to part do in of, Star Wars. And that's impossible to do in Star Wars. You can't lean on that in Star Wars. So you would have to be careful and, you know, have some more discretion of the kind of punchy humor that you're going to have. <clears throat> what about you, Steve? How do you yeah. feel about humor in this Han Solo movie? How should they approach it? Where would where would you draw the line as far as the comedic aspect of this movie? Well, so so far, I, I really haven't I really haven't seen the line in Star Wars. Um, I think there've been some some goofier moments in Rebels that made me made me balk when I was watching it. But uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I really enjoy. I I like the first movie better than the second movie story wise, but. That 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 works great. Trying to trying to trying to infuse that kind of comedy into Star Wars, at least on a on a non animated level, would take some getting used to. I'm kind of I just don't want to use your phrase too much of a cheese dick situation going on. Right. It's a with Star Wars. With but, Star Wars, it's it's a fine line. Like you go too far with it and. It just doesn't feel like Star Wars. Like, I think there's legitimately funny mo- moments in every Star Wars movie. Like, in A New oh, yeah. Hope, my favorite, like, funny moment are both Han Solo moments. It's when him and Chewie are running down the hallway of the Death Star and they come up on the room that's full of stormtroopers and then they just turn around and run the other way. <laughs> and then when they break into the, like, the prison room or whatever... And Han is talking on the comm link, and he's like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. How are you? I love that part. But that's a very specific type of humor, and it's a very specific type of character that we've sort of gotten used to over four movies now. And if you try to take that character too far past that line, then it's not going to feel like Han Solo. And I kind of feel like maybe that was part of the issue. 
when they, you know, sat down to look at a rough cut of the movie was like, it was, it was the comedy didn't feel like Han Solo. It didn't feel like Lando and Chewie. It felt almost like a parody of them for lack of a better term. And maybe not something that they were looking to do with the character. I just, I want that fly on the wall knowledge. (laughs) I want to know what these scenes are. I want to know what this rough cut looks like. I want to, I want to know what actors were like felt so out of place that they snitched. Like, I don't know if it was Donald Glover or, you know, you know, Aaron Aldenreich or, uh, or, uh, Oh my God. Who's the old guy? Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. There you go. Uh, I want, you know, I want to know who, who was like, yeah, I don't know about this. Woody Harrelson's weed dealer was like, oh, Woody's going to be in London for another eight weeks. Cha-ching. <laughs> Supposedly he says he doesn't smoke weed anymore, but I don't right. believe that for a there's second. A, there's a, yeah, right. And I don't yeah. use a wheelchair every day. There's yeah. a picture <laughs> of him and Donald Glover together at a restaurant in Spain. Uh, that one of them put up on their Instagram fairly recently, and it looks like they have both been having a real good old time. I bet. I, a that would real be awesome. good old time. Um, so, uh, Tuesday, it's announced. Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, no more. Boom. Almost immediately, rumors started hitting the web that were, there were three front runners for the job of directing the Han Solo movie. Ron Howard... Lawrence Kasdan and Joe Johnston. It didn't take long for it to come out that Ron Howard was the front runner. And then yesterday, Thursday afternoon, well, actually it was kind of morning. uh, It was confirmed. Ron Howard will be taking over directing duties on this Han Solo movie. Um, Steve, let's start with you, buddy. How do you feel about this choice? I'm a huge Ron Howard fan. Okay. Okay. But I gotta say, I was very surprised that uh, uh, a Hollywood director of his stature, regardless of the <laughs> George Lucas and Kathleen Kennedy relationship he's had right over the years, um, a man at his stage in his career jumping into a Star Wars project halfway, two thirds of the way through, whatever the fraction is, and really trying to tackle that, um, he's an a brilliant director. Just look, I had to remind myself looking at his filmography of the stuff that he's done ever since the early eighties, he's been throwing hit after hit out there and not just cheesy stuff. No, no, really I mean, it's really good stuff, you know, and good. Uh, and another thing I, I like, I, I'll say I'm pretty stoked with Ron Howard mm-hmm. and you go ahead and finish. Cause I, I'm actually looking something up about him right now. And li- listening to, uh, a couple of other people, I forget who they were, talk about it online, that uh, Ron Howard is a very character-driven uh, director, and it really sounds like a good fit for Han Solo. So I really started getting excited. I know he, this is really safe hands. He's going mm-hmm. to do I have no doubt he's going to do a great job. Uh, but I'm still a little surprised he decided to take it on with, a, with the script writer sitting there who is a well-established director hasn't directed a lot very recently but he's got a great track record as a part of this film already right and and you know i think the movie that might be most relevant as far as lawrence kasdan goes in directing is he directed wyatt earp 
Mm-hmm. So, and, and from everything they've said, they are going for a very Western feel. So it seems like he would almost make a great fit. I, however, did read, and I don't know how accurate it is, that there's probably, there that there's some sort of rule with the Directors Guild of America and stuff that prevents him from actually being able to take the job as director. Um, I saw that. I saw that same snippet. Yeah. I don't know the de- I don't know the details behind that, but yeah, that could that could have been a factor. But the announcement was so quick after the firing. I gotta wonder how long, how far back this started percolating. Yeah, and it, it, that's a good question because I don't think like if you the timeline we had was not the real timeline, obviously. So like they didn't get fired Monday and then or Tuesday and then Thursday, Ron Howard didn't get hired that day. I have a feeling, you know, it was probably a little while, not a long time because they were filming not that long ago. There was filming and making star Wars was getting all kinds of cool spy photos of the, in video of the set. So they, it wasn't that long ago that these guys were still working on the movie and there's still progress being made on the movie. So, you know, Ron Howard has probably been on board or close to on board for, I would say, maybe a week or so now at this point. Um, I got to figure that maybe they just gave it a couple of days to let everybody, you know, let the the news die down and let people get used to the idea that these two guys weren't going to direct anymore and then... Boom, announce Ron Howard. Uh what do you think about his hiring, Will? I I think it's a good good direction to go, especially with the issues that apparently they've been having. Um, like Steve said, I found it a little odd, you know. I was like, Ron Howard, wow, like I that's not what I was expecting, but I'm glad that it's in his hands. You know, like that is safe hands. I mean, some of the movies that he's done that I really enjoyed, you know, Cocoon. Apollo 13, A Beautiful Mind. Mm-hmm. Like, those were all great movies. Willow. You know, and Will, dude, Willow. And I, that's where I was coming to. Uh, it was plucked it right out of my brain was that, you know, him and that's his experience with George Lucas, right? Yep. What did, what was George Lucas to Willow? Uh, he came up, I don't believe he wrote the script, but he came up with the story idea and was a producer. George Lucas was very tied in to Willow. So, and that in itself, that right there, Ron Howard's experience with George Lucas on Willow just makes me feel like, <clears throat> I don't know, some sort of reverence or it's, I don't know, some, it's a good connection. You know, it's a good connection to have. Willow's one of my favorite movies. You know, you know Willow and um, Apollo 13 are probably my two favorite Ron Howard movies. Yeah, both good movies. Um, I haven't seen Frost Nixon, but I've heard that was good. Rush um, was good. Rush was real good. That was a more recent movie he did too. And Cinderella Man, uh, I think the was a Russell Crowe boxing movie or something. I think so. I don't know. Right, that I saw right, that. yeah. He did the Da Vinci Code movies. You know those always. You know, if you can direct, I guess I don't know Tom Hanks. I guess is a great kick-ass actor no matter what, but... I wasn't you know, a big he, fan of those. I'm going to be honest. I haven't seen I, them all. I it's, mean, it's not my jam, but... And I think it's more yeah. of a source material thing where I'm just not a big fan of the source material. Right. And doesn't interest me that much, so I'm not going to really be sucked in on the movie. 
Um, I just feel like Ron Howard is not going to take no bullshit. He's right. not going to half-ass it. He's not going to shortcut it. He knows what's good and what's not good. He knows what's you know what's well-developed character. I, I feel like, long story short, I feel like it's in good hands. I'm super stoked. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep thinking about Willow. I mean, <coughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, um, I'm stoked. Um, I would have liked to see Lawrence Kasdan do it, just because if the issue is that he wants the script shot the way he sees it in his head, then, you know, let him do it. Uh, he may be too angry and would not have salvaged any of the Phil Lord and Chris Miller, I anything. Mean, it could be that. And like I said, it could be that, that rule. I think Ron Howard, I mean, obviously like not to hate on Lawrence Kasdan, Ron Howard's a better director than Lawrence Kasdan. When yeah. you look at Lawrence Kasdan's filmography, I'm not taking anything away from the dude, but Ron Howard's one of those dudes. Like, the thing you got to keep in mind that's kind of cool is this is the first time Star Wars will have a Academy Award winning director behind it. That's true. In Ron Howard. Wow. Um, kind of heavy right now. I'm with both of you guys. I'm surprised and, and almost a little, I don't know if bummed is the right way word to say it, that he's essentially b- being brought in to do cleanup duty. And it, it is, it's true, it's not often that you see a director of his stature come in to do that. Like, uh, you know, that's that's a pretty big deal. Something tells me there was quite a bit of money involved. Um, uh, and Jason from Making Star Wars was talking on the latest episode of Now This Is Podcasting um, about how when Ron Howard has said many times that working with George Lucas on Willow was like his master class in filmmaking. And he had said that well before he got this job. This, you know, uh, an older quote. So as long as he still feels that way and, and remembers the motions and the, you know, the things that he learned doing Willow, which I'm sure he does, uh, then I think it, it's going to turn out well. I think the hiring of Ron Howard... Uh, put me to ease on this uh, a lot more than I even thought it would when he was first sort of announced. Like, because I was pretty anxious for uh, the first few, like, day and a half, two days. Um, just because I want it to be good. I don't want, I want it to be a while before we get a stinker Star Wars movie. I'm still a little fucking raw from the reaction to the fucking prequels. Jesus Christ, never saw that coming. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I was so hyped up for the prequels. I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to be the cool guy again. Because growing up, nobody liked Star Wars. Two friends, Steven and Mike in my class, like Star Wars with me. Nobody else liked Star Wars. And then fucking, whew, I was like, oh, Star Wars is going to come back. Everybody's going to love it. I'm going to be one of the cool kids. Finally. Wrong. And then wrong. And then it came back. And even the Star Wars fans were like, oh, man, you like the prequels? And I was like, yeah, I do. I went to see The Phantom Menace ten times. I don't know if it was ten times. But it was a lot. All right. Um, So I think that about does it for Ron Howard, Willow, Phil Lord, and Christopher Miller talk. Do either of you guys have anything you want to add to that? Uh, I think I've I've said my piece. Full disclosure. Yeah. I've I've never seen Willow. You've never seen Willow? Nope. Buddy. You I'm gotta the greatest watch swordsman that ever lived. Slip past the goalie. Uh, 
Jason Ward has a very good description of it, and it's basically, it is a Star Wars movie set in a fantasy world. Like it's it it does the hero's journey of the reluctant hero, and like there's a Sith witch basically, and like uh, Mad Mardikin is basically Han Solo in some regards. Like it's a very Star Warsy filming movie. It's probably why I dig it so much. And I don't think it's when I was a kid watching it. I don't think I was like, oh, this is like Star Wars with like real swords and shit. But no, I think some subconsciously. It's been t- Sorry. No. It's been talked about a lot over the last day. Day plus, I've been hearing Willow talk. So, it's getting watched tomorrow. I know that much. Right on. I'm I, watching The Godfather 2 tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> I prefer it to Legend. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen Legend, Steve? With uh, Tim Curry and... Uh, Tom what's his Cruise. dick? Yeah, Tom Cruise. No, but the fact that you just said Tim Curry, I'm on board. Tim Curry so. plays the devil. And he is done up in some of the most impressive. Dude, uh, right? That is some of the most impressive makeup. Like prosthetic makeup work. It's directed by Ridley Scott, who did, you know, the Alien movie. Uh, the two most recent ones and the original and all, all the other movies Ridley Scott's done. You, um, like that Tim, you like that Tim Curry makeup job better than Kia D? Oh, I mean, you're asking between the devil and the most glorious angel that's ever been presented on screen <laughs> so that's that's a too hard of a Sophie, sophie's choice my friend okay. so, speaking of kia d we're gonna move into some emails and stuff there was some star wars video game news this week that we may cover um we're gonna try and get through our emails and all that good stuff but before we do there's a little tradition that we have before we start getting into the emails and that's when we play the melodious sounds of the kia d cockhead song that our good buddy steve here created for us but before we get to that steve buddy let's uh yes let's get to know you a little better and figure (coughs) out uh excuse me a little bit of the origin stories behind this song first off our buddy steve here is a moderator on a pretty large facebook group um, and <laughs> man, I gotta say when you and our buddy Gerard, AKA G money, put the band hammer down on people or put people in their place, it always gets a chuckle out of me. Like if I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see, um, you know, a post on the Alliance of star Wars fanatics and I'm like, Ooh, that post is a little dicky. And then I look down and it says Gerard and Steve have commented on this post. Like, I start rubbing my hands together. It was like, ooh, pop the popcorn. I got to check this shit out. <laughs> so why don't you tell uh, our listeners where they can find the Facebook group, where they can find you on social media, and then tell us um, how the Kia D song came about. Well, my main social media outlet is the Alliance of Star Wars Fanatics on Facebook, Facebook group, and then I have a lot of nonsense going on Twitter. Steve, <laughs> Steve Mac seventy nine. Um, the Kia D song. See, I have a I have a habit of uh, kind of men- mentally weird Al Yankoviking songs. If 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 I'm if I'm interested in a topic and I, I'm driving around and I'm zoning out, immediately lyrics start popping into my head, and. That Team America song, 
I've used that in my head dozens of times for different various topics. And uh, this one felt like a home run. I had most of it down within 45 minutes. You sure was. And, you sent me a uh, an early clip of it, and you were like, what do you think about this? And I was like, that's fucking funny. And what's funny is you were like, I want you to save it for when King Tom comes on the show for the first time. Because I had told you that King Tom was going to be coming on. And then, which yeah. we still have to get to, the great key a D Monday debate with King Tom and Joe. We got to set that up soon. <clears throat> um, but uh, you sent me an early version. And then like two days later, you came back and you were like, don't play that version. I'm going to make it way better. So I got yeah, the no. demo. And then the fucking platinum record that's hanging. Oh, I wonder if there's somewhere where I can get us like platinum, fake platinum records printed. Uh, oh, this that'd is, be sick. Yeah. Oh, sure. The, you know, I sent you that first that first rendition quick, and uh, I started talking to my buddy Gerard about it, G Money, and uh, he already had a mixing board and sound thing going on and a microphone, and he told me, "Look, I'll get." I'll get lyricless version of that song and we'll lay it down together. I'm like, that sounds like a good deal. So I flew in, I flew back into Boston for my buddy's wedding and I, man, I stole away like an hour and a half to get to Gerard's house. <laughs> and, uh, there was no time. It was such a quick weekend. And, uh, you know, irritated his family for about 45, 50 minutes got the tracks down he mixed it and it was it was out the door a I, lot of fun i love the mental image of like gerard and his family hanging out and then you bust in the door and you're like we gotta get in the studio and then they just like the family sitting in the living room and just in the background you hear Cock <laughs> oh there was so much yelling and he had me he had me say that one line like a dozen times just to <laughs> just to he wanted to thicken it up, but he didn't want to use the ident an identical uh, track every time. Right. And <laughs> it was looking back on it, it's just ridiculous. But oh, the best he mixed kind it up of ridiculous. Um, yeah, y you know what? Uh, we have something in common. I do the same thing about song parodies, but it's always about one of our animals. So, like, Will, give me a song, and I'll do a parody of it about Walter. Um... Oh, Hey Jude by the Beatles. Hey, Walter, you're so handsome. <laughs> you got blue eyes and pure white fur. I'll pet you and rub on your fat tummy. And then I'll get you. I don't get far. I don't get as far as our buddy Steve. <laughs> but I do the same thing, and it's always about one of the pets. Can like, I Can I? Can I request a song that you do that to as well? Yeah, sure. I'd like you to do that to How You Remind Me. Oh, is that a Nickelback song? I think you know it is. Oh. <laughs> I don't think I know the song well enough. <laughs> I won't force you to do that. Oh, my God. I don't think I know the song well enough. Edit that out. <laughs> All right. So let's get into some emails. And now that you guys have experienced uh, Blue Harvest behind the music, why don't we play that song for you guys? Kia-dee! Kia-dee! 
only Jedi master who can crush box candy. Cockhead! Running around slaying bitches with his cockhead. He's a big Surian stud. He loves to split chicks with his pud. Candy! Cockhead! To stroke his cone and suck on his balls. Candy! Cockhead! What you gonna do when he comes on you now? He's a Jedi Council stooge But he'll be plumping spooge tomorrow! Cockhead! Luherb! Cockhead! Hansberger! Cockhead! Will Witt! Cockhead! Goose Paint! Cockhead! G-Money! Cockhead! King Tom! Cockhead! Joe! Cockhead! K&D! Cockhead! Cockhead! Triple platinum. Triple platinum. That 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 album's gonna sell more copies than Thriller. All right. <laughs> so we got a voicemail, and from what I understand, this is some cooking questions for Will from our good Uh-oh. buddy uh, Richie in Boston. Richie, by the way, um, had some uh, unfortunate family stuff happen. Um, oh no, he's okay. But I just want to let him know that we uh, were thinking about him. And uh, if he needs anything, he knows how to get a hold of me. And this is for this is from Richie for Will. Oz and Will, my Blue Harvest brothers, this is Richie. Guys, really quick um, response to something that Tomas had sent last week about action figures. You know what I want? I want like a, it's because I'm a Revenge of the Sith junkie. I want a fucking, like, dark side Anakin figure. Not the one that they put out, I don't know, X, X amount of years ago. That's now like a hundred bucks. With like, where they have like Anakin on one head. And then they have like crazy wild-eyed Anakin on, on another head. And just like, that fucking, that crazy wild-eyed Anakin head is just, I've seen it in pictures. It's fucking awful. I want like a fucking, like yellow-eyed fucking hooded fucking dark side Anakin. That's that's the figure that I want. Anyways, I actually have a cooking with Will question this week. So, about a year ago, I went to a place in Nashville, Tennessee called the Loveless Cafe. And evidently they're famous for their biscuits. Now, their biscuits are a little bit smaller and they're like eating little fucking clouds. They are fucking fantastic. And I can do a decent biscuit. You know, I can, I make, you know, I've tried about a half dozen or so different recipes for biscuits just to try to duplicate this Loveless Cafe thing, this light, fluffy, airy fucking biscuit cloud. And the closest I can get is akin to, you know, just something you get with a good biscuits and gravy. Like, I can whip up a good biscuit. Will, what do you suggest for lightening them up, fluffing them up, airing them up? You know, I've done, you know, buttermilk. I've done faux buttermilk. I've done all sorts of things. I need a recommendation. I need to get those little mini fucking biscuit clouds, and I need to put some peach preserves on them, and I need to whack off. All right, guys, take care. It got explicit there at the end. All right, Will, 
You're up to bat, buddy. Um, I I'll be honest with you. I'll have to do some research for you to get super super fluffy cloud like biscuits. And now, don't be mad at me because you know everybody's interpretation of super fluffy cloud like an airy. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I've never had that biscuit, so I'm not entirely sure. But I think what we're discussing is like a leavening agent. So I'm just I'm guessing here, but maybe using club soda in in as part of the moisture in the biscuit recipe, and that's going to add like extra air into the batter when you bake. So they're gonna be there's gonna be a lot of air in there, which will make them really fluffy and cloud like like you're talking about. Um, but other than that, maybe it's a ratio of baking soda or maybe it's a specific kind of yeast. But I think what we're talking about here is a leavening agent. I'll do some research and uh, I may be able to get back to you. But I, I, you know, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's what we're talking about here. Well, there you go. Hey, Steve, do you get down on biscuits ever? You know what? Biscuits aren't a, uh, I don't know, a... Uh, a northern staple, staple? A, yeah. A staple in the northeast, but uh, rolls, your rolls guy. I, you know what? I love biscuits. I'm just biscuits. gonna, I'm, I'm kind of indicting the region when I say that. Uh, I used to have biscuits and gravy, a sausage gravy. Oh yeah. And someone had me do this. I, I, I balked at the idea. I didn't want to try it. Had me put honey all over it. Oh. With the sausage gravy. Hmm. And uh, I fell in love right there. 20, 30 pounds later, I, I, I pushed away from the table, but <laughs> oh, so good. Huh. A, good biscuit, a good biscuit, man. Yes. That reminds me of Hawes' grandma, Nunny's Chicken and Waffles. Oh, yeah. She makes, um, she makes waffles, and then she makes like creamy chicken. It's like, it's like creamed chicken gravy is what it is. And then you oh, put that on the waffle, and then you put syrup on top of that. So and it and like you would think that oh that kind of sounds gross and disgusting but once you eat that it changed your life changed your life forever. I do not do that. I am uh, there's not many people in my family that that hold the uh, the line against mixing the cream chicken with uh with syrup but but I am. I don't play that game. I just go one or the other. It uh I don't know why. I've never tried it. Admittedly, I've never tried it, but I just see it and I'm like, "Mm-mm." That ain't for me. <clears throat> yeah, cream chicken and waffles. That's always a good night at my family. Um, that, so- that sounds delicious. I, <laughs> I, I, I've never even heard of that being from where I'm from, but I'm going to have to have my wife cue that up somehow. It's not going to be like Nunny's, but we'll give it a go. It's, uh, it's a good time. All right, so we're going to go voicemails first and then email. So our next voicemail is from our buddy King Tom. And uh, he says, I go on a bit of a rant. I apologize for the link. That's what length, that's what he said. That's a good one, King Tom. Never apologize for Will. King Tom here. Seems that talking about Star Wars directors is all the rage these days. And as much as there is to say about uh, Lord and Miller, Lord and Taylor, whatever, Lord and Miller, right? Um, I actually want to follow up on a discussion you guys were having last week when you were talking about Colin Trevorrow and Richard Marquand, director of Return of the Jedi. Um, as, you know, 
skeptical as people are about Trevorrow, I maintain, and I know the guy is dead, but these are some things that I've been thinking about a lot lately. So what you were saying about him kind of really got my head in the gear, as it were. But Richard Marquand is the worst possible director Star Wars has had or will ever have. Um, and I might go off on a little bit of a rant here, and a lot of this is inspired by J.W. Rinsler's excellent Making of Return of the Jedi, subtitled, Richard Marquand is a Horrible, Horrible Director. Um, I don't think we'll ever have as, you know, as bad as the, the whole Lord Miller situation is right now, it, it, Marquand was even worse. Um, first of all, as a, according to Rinsler's book, he was drunk half the time. Now, if you've got some level of talent, that's fine. But Marquand got the job, went out and got drunk. Was on location shoots, went out and got drunk. And he brags about it all the time. If you've got talent, if you're a J.J. Abrams or a Spielberg, hell, if you direct Arby's commercials, you can go out and get drunk. But if you're Richard Marquand and you do one movie and a few made-for-TV movies, I don't know. Um, the other thing is he brought nothing to the table. The, the book has pages and pages of transcripts from the story conference. And it has Lucas and Kasdan and um, Ken, Ken, the guy who directed, or not directed, produced Return of the Jedi, Howard, whatever his name was, throwing out ideas. Richard Marquand's, um, what he brought to the story conference, oh, George, that's a good idea. George, that's brilliant. I love that, George. Hey, George, can I go to the bathroom? He had no original ideas to bring to bring to the table, and the the, the ideas that he did have, or the, his original thoughts, anything he says about Return or Empire Strikes Back, he bashes the movie. He didn't like the art. He didn't like the sets. He didn't like the lighting. He didn't like the costumes. He has nothing good to say about the movie that preceded his. Now I understand wanting to make, trying to do better, but it didn't come off as that if you read his quotes in the book. And then finally, he wasn't really an able director. You know, it, it's well known that George had to come in and direct the movie for him. But he couldn't handle the cast. He mistreated and spoke down to Carrie Fisher several times. And he also showed favoritism toward Harrison Ford. Something that actually pissed Ford off when Ford realized, it, realized he was doing it. And then when, when the movie was done shooting, Marquand took a few months to edit it, gave, the, gave his director's cut to George, and said, George, this is the best I can do. George took one look at it in that September or August of 82, and it took George, everyone at ILM, everyone at Lucasfilm, busting their asses for six months to put together the best movie they could. Return of the Jedi is a good movie because of the work that George Lucas, Joe Johnston, Ben Burt, the editors, the, the, the people at ILM, everyone did, not because of Richard Marquand. So, no, ba no matter how bad it might have gotten with Lord and Miller, or how unqualified people think Colin Trevorrow are, all I have to say is look at Richard Marquand, and look at the movie that we got, and how it survived Marquand's inabilities to direct. Um, you know, I, I, I do have some concerns about Trevorrow. Um, not so much his ability to direct. I think we know he can direct because of Jurassic World, safety not guaranteed. Um, I'm more concerned about his abilities to write. But that's another rant. Um, so in the meanwhile, in the meantime, I give you, I leave you this. I hope you've had a good time discussing Ron Howard. Um, but Richard Marquand is a horrible, horrible director. <laughs> 
King Tom. Shots fired. King Tom is normally such like an even keeled. We found King King Tom's Achilles heel. Right. Like you know how you can't bring up Daenerys Targaryen to Robert Baratheon without him losing his lid? Like or flipping his lid? King Tom. You've been like, watching a lot of Game of Thrones lately, I'm, haven't you? I haven't been watching it. I'm just really fucking excited because it's coming out so soon. <laughs> so like I guess all my references are gonna be Game of Thrones references for a little while now. Oh yeah. And um side but Sidebar, really quick, Oz. Yeah. That second, uh, the second Game of Thrones trailer that just came out the other day. Awesome. Oh. <laughs> so good. July can't come fast enough. So, I do want to, uh, after the fact, pat myself on the back just a little bit. Because you remember last episode, Will, when we were talking about Colin Trevorrow and whether we should be worried about him directing episode nine or not and i was like right. well if he doesn't do a good job lucasfilm will just get rid of him yeah that's true i said that and then you know fucking they proved you right <laughs> four days later i was like oh wrong <laughs> oh yeah and steel so far steel has had one of the funniest tweets about the whole thing it said uh star wars fans we want a new director disney fires uh, I don't want to, I'm going to misquote it, but it's basically Disney fires Lord and Miller star Wars fans, wrong director. Cause like, you know, that was the week before all the uh, discussion was about right. should, should they get rid of Trevorrow or not? Right, right. And then one thing I said was like, uh, I don't know if it's possible this far in like the, he's already writing the movie and stuff. I don't know how likely it is. Well, it's at least it's a possibility. Possible. It's clearly possible. Clearly well, and, possible. You know, in his defense, the, I mean, the movie we were talking about that Trevorrow directed that was awful seems like it would have been awful had anybody directed it. Like, I don't know. From what I know of that movie, I don't know that anybody would have turned it into a really great movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, and and it, his writing ability does worry me still, but because I'm pretty sure he had a writing hand in that one. What uh, what do you feel about the whole Trevorrow thing, Steve? I was when they announced that it was uh, Ryan Johnson. Then we got the Colin Trevorrow uh, announcement. You know, I wasn't thrilled with Jurassic World. Uh, the dinosaurs escaped and ate people again. Okay, cool. Uh, but I, it, it's so far away. That it didn't, uh, it didn't, it didn't really register with me. I was more focused on what was going on right now. Right. Um, yeah, but, we still oof. got two movies to get through and hope that they're good. I still, you know, what's funny is okay. So the Han Solo stuff pops up, and then immediately people are like, "Well, what's wrong with the Last Jedi? There's a problem with Rogue One and Han Solo." When seemingly production of the Last Jedi has gone pretty smoothly. Um, you know, I just, if there's ever a time that one of the movies needs to be really, really awesome, it's going to be need to be The Last Jedi. Because I think if that comes out and it's really great, and that'll get some confidence up in some people. And then hopefully Han Solo comes out and is good, if not great. And then, you know, by that point, once Lucasfilm has shown that, like, yeah, there may be some pretty bad problems during production but we we get it across the 
the finish line in a presentable state, then hopefully, you know, some of the sky is falling reaction that happens will calm down a little bit. Not saying I mean, that, not saying that uh, this Philip Lord and Miller stuff isn't something we should worry about. Like it is worrying. It's not a good sign. I'm just saying, hopefully, they can fix it. But in part of this is just making movies, right? Like this shit happens. Like yeah, this is but making it seems, movies. It, it, like I said, it seems like it's happened. You know, a lot for, for three out of the four movies so far have had but, some sort of issue in production. Again, like, right. are there other brands or Titanic, you know, franchises like this that we have to compare to? You know, I mean, there, like I said, there's been several of the Marvel movies that have had some troubles in their pre-productions and productions. Um, I don't know that any of them have had it to the level of the film Lord and Christopher Miller thing. But it also seems like, you know, now that, Marvel is moving along and they've got sort of their pipeline set up. Their stuff goes pretty smoothly. I can't remember the last, I think Edgar Wright may have been the last real big Marvel shakeup that happened. And I might right. be forgetting one, but that's the last one I can remember. So I, like I said, I hope it's just a product of some growing pains, some real painful, annoying growing pains. All right. We've got one more voicemail and then some emails. And this is from our buddy, Chris. Hello, Will and Hawes. It's Chris Willis from the UK. A uh, quick question for you guys this week. And it's about redemption. So there's been a lot of talk about Kylo Ren and redemption. Um, whether or not he is redeemable, uh, I'm in the camp of no, he is not redeemable, and uh, I don't want him to be redeemed. Um, some of this goes back to Vader. Um, back in the day, I wasn't that keen on his redemption. I know, shock horror, at the end of Jedi, he saves his son. And kills the Emperor, and uh, to George Lucas and a lot of people, he has been redeemed. Um, I was never really on board with that. Um, and then after the prequels came out, um, I was certainly not uh, on board with that. Uh, he killed a lot of people um, <laughs> and children, so um, I, I, I don't think he, he, he deserved um, redemption. Um, also as well, like, with similar with Kylo Ren, yeah, uh, he also has killed a lot of people, uh, including his father, uh, and I don't think even if he sacrifices himself, uh, for the greater good, that that's going to be enough to wipe out all the bad. Uh, especially considering, uh, in the Force Awakens commentary, it was revealed that the, um, the ashes that he puts his helmets in when he's interrogating uh, Ray, I believe. Um, everyone thought that was Vader's ashes, but it turns out that they're actually the ashes of his victims. Um, so, yeah, uh, I don't think you can be redeemed by doing one good deed if you've killed a lot of people. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think. 
Um, no, it's a little bit controversial because some people will not agree with me when it comes to the redemption of Vader and uh, Kylo Ren. Okay, so keep up the good work. Uh, let me know what you think. Bye. Well, it's nice to hear from you, Chris, buddy. Um, so, Steve, why don't you take this one first? Because Will and I have talked about our sort of feelings on Kylo Ren <coughs> being redeemed and stuff. Why don't you start off and let us know how you feel about the whole prospect of Kylo Ren being redeemed? I have a tough time with it. Um, he killed Han Solo. Yeah. All right. Right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll preface that with if no one had seen a Star Wars movie and then all of a sudden they see The Force Awakens, they'll have the same, they'll have a similar reaction to Han, to Han Solo dying as they would Obi Wan Kenobi in A New Hope. When you, you first see that, the old character, the mentor, gets cut down. But for us, for us, we, we grew up loving Han Solo. I mean, that's just personally, personally within my own, my, own, my own heart. That's how I feel about it. But to Chris's voicemail, in a, at the end, he said about how can Kylo Ren be redeemed after killing so many people? Well, I'm not sure he's topped his granddad on killing dudes. Yeah, I don't think so. Not and, yet. And he got redeemed at the end. So, but the story is going to need to be kick ass for for me to be able to buy into it easily. So I have mixed emotions on it for sure. I wish I had a better answer. Yeah, and and I get what Chris is saying where he says he doesn't really feel Vader was redeemed. And I think in the the cheesiest way possible in like the grand scheme, he was redeemed by bringing balance to the force. But I don't he, think that excuses or makes up for the fact that no. of how many people he slaughtered. I just think he went back to the light side and redeemed himself a little bit and in the books and stuff. And I'm not by any means all the way caught up. Like, all the fucked up shit Darth Vader has or has done lives on for years and still haunts Leia, Luke, oh, yeah. you know, presumably Kylo. But in the Bloodline book, Leia's still dealing with the fact that her father was supremely fucked up, you know, and, and did some horrible, horrific things. What do you think, Will? Um, I mean, I agree. And even when I was young, I was like, wow, he just killed the emperor, like, and then everything's okay now. But um, it took in the line that kind of seals it for me. His redemption was when he says, tell your sister that you were right about me. You know, when Luke says, I still feel the good in him. Um, it, it, it at least lends some credibility that way towards him being conflicted, you know, him, him leading the path of a Jedi and then falling so hard to the Sith. You know, I have more trouble with his fall, his instant, you know, 180 fall to the Sith to doing fucked up shit from, you know, upholding the light of the galaxy towards, you know, to his redemption. Like in when, and when I was young, I was like, he just couldn't, he just didn't want to see his son die. And that's a selfish motivation. That's not an altruistic motivation, but. Well, that's in, sort of, I mean, 
this selfishness is definitely part of being a Sith. Like, it's a major right. part. Right. I mean, and but like it, him saving his son didn't seem. Oh, I see what you're saying. I it, see. It what was you're, a I selfish was, motivation. I was, was talking not about an revenge, of, revenge of the Sith. I wasn't thinking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's not like he's like. When he's watching Luke get fucking fried like a fucking catfish. He's not like, hey, don't do that. No, he's not like, oh my God, I need to bring balance to the force and get rid of this motherfucker. He's trying to save Luke, which is great. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And and I think it's more symbolic in showing that he's choosing loving his son over the dark side and the ways of the Sith. That's more, it's more symbolic, you know, like... And let's be honest, I mean, killing the Emperor is a big deal. <laughs> killing the Emperor, right. does that and redeem him for killing kids? Absolutely not. Absolutely it, not. But if you, I mean, if you want to weigh it, you know, it killing the Emperor may have saved countless lives. For sure. You know, you don't That's know a good that, point. But... Like, if that mission fails, if, if the Emperor kills Luke and and all that, you know, the Death Star... Probably doesn't get blown up. Well, it might still have gotten blown up. I mean, Luke didn't really do anything to help with the destruction of the Death Star. Right. He was there to try to distract them. He but... pulled the eye. He pulled the Emperor and Darth Vader's eye off of everything else. Yeah, but the Emperor knew that shit was coming, and the yep, and he set a trap. Yeah, but the re- I mean, nothing Luke did while he was on the Death Star allowed the Rebels to blow up the Death Star. Right? Nothing. Yeah. Yep. I mean, like Han and all those guys blew up the shield generator. Then Lando, uh, Nian Nub, and Steve—is it Nian or Nian or Nine? I—I've always heard Nian Nub. That's what I've always N- heard. N- so. Number. We need to find a, a audio book where he makes an appearance. Oh, um, there's plenty of them. Plenty of them in the EU. And to that point, just for, if I could for a second, um, I really like in. William or Haas, you mentioned Bloodline. The way the way Bloodline handled and spoiler, look, the book's been out for like a year or two, so whatever. Yeah, yeah, I I think we're uh, straight on this. Go <laughs> ahead, buddy. Um, when it was finally revealed that Leia and Luke were the children of Darth Vader, at least from because Luke's Luke wasn't really in the book; he was mentioned but not in it. Right. Le- Leia's career as a politician was immediately ruined. Yeah. She was pretty much a castaway, and she started the resistance, like right at the end of the book, her own thing. I really bought into, I buy into the way they played that more because, like, Will, I think Will hinted at Vader wasn't like really redeemed. He wasn't a force because he brought balance to it by chucking the Emperor down that shaft. But he was never forgiven for what he did. The atrocities right. that he, the, the atrocities that he conducted, and he shouldn't. So, have been, so no. And so you fast forward to that book and the way they handled it, and how everyone was shocked, and she, you know, her p- political career was ruined. I bought into that a lot more than what happened in the expanded universe, where it came out and it was a bit of a shocking revelation. But she still became the New Republic's chancellor and. Luke was the grandmaster, and everybody in the everybody in the galaxy knew that they were Vader's kids, right? So, yeah, which 
it felt like kind of a gloss over to me. So I really like the direction that the uh, the new Bloodline book took that. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, there's even people that sort of question Luke after that, like where they're like, they mention like, is what about her brother Luke? He's a Jedi. Like, should we trust him? Is he going to try and raise the Jedi to overthrow her government or something? I kind of remember something like that. So, I do think that was called into, into question briefly. Yeah, real briefly. There was not really much mention of Luke in uh, in that book. A couple of times. Couple of times. All right. Um, but yeah, I think Kylo Ren could be redeemed. Like Steve said, though, it better be damn good. Better be damn good. For yeah, and buy into it, it. the thing know? is, is he'll be he could redeem himself, but it, it's going to be so very similar to a a Darth Vader situation, where like to me, the only acceptable way for him to be redeemed in the slightest is is by sacrificing himself. You think he'll sacrifice himself trying to ice Snoke or something? You know, whatever it ends up trying to whatever it ends up being. And then, but it once again, it'll be a Vader situation. Like, will that excuse him for killing his dad and for wiping out the Jedi Academy and whoever else? As I he say, killed? and wiping out all of you know Luke's new Jedi. Yeah, absolutely not. But uh, other other people can forgive him for killing Han Solo, not this dude. Not this dude either, right? buddy. No. no. Oh, heartbreak. Talk sake. about. I mean, Han Solo was the guy I tried to be in college. You know, like that was, you know, you think about who you want to, who you want to be, who you want to emulate. It was Han Solo. That's who I tried to be. Yeah, he's my favorite character in the entire franchise. Legends, canon, whatever. Man, when he flipped that quarter to that bartender in the cantina, he was my dude. <laughs> Such a good scene. I like when they're... um they're waiting in the control center in a new hope. And he's like, she's rich. And he's like, how rich He's like, I don't know. Well, more than you can imagine. It's like, I don't know. I can imagine quite a bit. So good. (laughs) All right. So our first email of the evening is from our buddy, Peter. And he says, what's up fellas. After the initial shock over the news that Lord and Miller had left the Han Solo movie over creative differences, I've been seeing a ton of articles and posts stating that Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy in particular, may be in trouble and need new leadership. My thirst, thirst. My first thought was, are they kidding? Have they not seen the past two Star Wars movies Lucasfilm has put out and their box office number? I'm pretty sure that Kennedy and Kasdan, who know more about Han Solo than anyone who knows more about Han Solo than <coughs> anyone other than Harrison Ford and has clashed with Lord and Miller over the tone of the movie, know what they're doing when it comes to Star Wars movies. Why don't we trust that they know what's best for the movie and the direction that the movie needs to go? Let's be honest. What Star Wars fan has said, eh, it's just a movie about a young Han Solo. I don't need to see that. None of them. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think we got two buddies right here who both were like, eh, I don't know. One super excited about it. Um, right. But... That's the difference between not being excited about it and not going to see it is huge. Like, it's not on the top of my list of spinoff movies I wanted to see, but you bet your ass I'm going to go see it multiple times. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so everyone needs to take a break, do some yoga or whatever the hell relaxes them. Look, it could always be worse. Plus, this had, this has never happened in the history of movie making that a director has stepped down, been fired during principal filming, right? 
you'll remember all the reshoots that Rogue One went through and how crazy everyone was about the movie, how the movie was going to be a disaster. Well, $1 billion later, I think it's safe to say that Dr. Evil would be running to the bank and that it was the right choice. Wait, who made that call again? Was it Lucasfilm Story Group and Kathleen Kennedy? Oh, man, Peter's fired up tonight. (laughs) So next time that you hear that Star Wars movie is having production delays and issues, just remember that A New Hope had so many issues and production delays that George Lucas swore off directing for 20 years. Empire Strikes Back went way over budget and had many delays too, but it's regarded by many, including myself, as the best Star Wars film to date. So let's stop turning Panic Dial to 11 and put some trust in Disney and Lucasfilm until they give us a reason to doubt their decision making. When Kathleen Kennedy says, it's not you, it's me, it definitely means it was you. Sorry for the long email. I've been irritated by this all week. Keep killing it, boys. See, that's that's one end of the spectrum I've been seeing in this whole fallout is there's the super, just trust Kathy. And then there's the super, oh shit, it's all going to hell. Get fucking nervous. I think, yeah, no. I, I think <laughs> you need to settle somewhere in the middle. I do think it's worrisome. I don't think you can't say that it's not worrisome. This is not the kind of thing that you want to see in the production of a movie and a franchise that we all care about so much. But Peter is also right. Until they give me a reason, until they put out that bad movie to make me super nervous, I'm just going to assume that it's for the best. That's my personal take on it. I pretty much agree with Peter. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody can chill out. It'll be fine. They know they can't mess it up like... Not can't, but they know they can't afford to mess it up, so they're not going to. I mean, everything's going to be fine. The leadership at Lucasfilm, I mean, we've been in good hands so far. Everything's been great. I wouldn't start questioning it now. Okay. Right. I, I feel like they they know how important this is. This, they're, not, they're not looking to slap out a bunch of trashy movies right. to, to make a buck. And just to your point, Haas, at the beginning of the podcast... I don't like drama within the production of my beloved Star Wars franchise. Yeah. So I hope it really settles down. And like we talked about, I think Ronnie's the guy. Yeah, it makes me nervous. And, and you know, I, it's just because I care about it so much. I just want it to be good. Like, I'm just hoping, like, you know, The Last Jedi crosses the finish line in a fairly smooth manner. It's really good. Like, really, really good. Like, I have... Very high hopes for this movie. So I hope it comes across really well. I hope Han Solo comes out as solid. I hope Nine comes out with, you know, no craziness. If if there's going to be any craziness on Nine, if they're going to get rid of Trevorrow, which I don't necessarily think they, they are, they need to do that shit now and just yeah, go early. ahead and do it. And, you know, well, one thing I was wanting to ask you guys do you think it's still possible that Han Solo meets its May May release date, or do you think it's going to get delayed Ooh. to December next year? I I really think it just depends on how much Ron thinks he needs to reshoot. Mm-hmm. If it's not a whole lot, if he thinks there's a lot to salvage, then it'll probably still make the date. If if it needs to go another <coughs> two or three weeks uh, on to what you know whatever reshoots, like it it'll probably be pushed back a little bit. Yeah. I, I personally, I when I first heard that Ron, when when I first heard Ron was like in the running with 
with two hours after these guys get fired, the the Variety update came out that had Ron at the top of the list. I, I said to myself, if if a guy like that's going to take over, we're we're seeing this in December of 2019, 2018. You think so? But 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 who knows? He like he's going to be digging in, looking at all the footage. I was more skeptical. I was more sold on it being released in May of next year if Lawrence Kasdan had taken over. Yeah. Just just because of his familiarity with the project. But whatever whatever Ron Howard is happy with and comfortable with, May or December, I'll be in line. Oh, yeah. I agree. I totally agree. And now that you've said that, like, I didn't think about it, but Ron may be more of a perfectionist than I was thinking. You know, and he may take the time to make sure it's right no matter what. And whatever he decides is good, I'll, you know, I'm totally cool with. I mean, for all we know, they may have at this point decided to delay it already, and they're just waiting to announce that just so it's not. Because they didn't want it to be a deluge of bad news. Right. And I don't know. I, it's tough for me to say. I've never made a movie. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I read uh, in the sort of fallout of this is that, yeah, basically what you guys said, he's going to sit down, he's going to look at all the footage and what's shot and figured out what they need to fix and is due to start filming. R filming starts again July 10th. So, right. you know, what's that? Three weeks, basically? The yeah. Shooting's going to start back up. Um, but, guys, with this upheaval, though, do you think with questions about release date, and this is all just fan fandom-based, we're, we're the ones throwing it around, would it be advantageous for them to take it and push it to December instead of trying to maybe rush it to the finish line and then go head to head with infinity war. Yeah. See, that's the issue is <laughs> like, I believe infinity war comes out in end of April, early May of next year. That's going to be yeah. huge. And, oh, yeah. and you know, Han Solo was set to come out two or three weeks after that. So that's always been a question for me because eventually, you know, it seems like they're going to end up butting heads with one. And the other thing is, if they move it to December, they're butting heads with that new Mary Poppins movie they come in, they have coming out. And I don't know what the public clamor is for a, a Mary Poppins part two, but, you know, if Disney's expecting it, that to be even somewhat of a big hit. Is uh, it a Mary Poppins part two or is it just the, another a retelling. I believe it's called Mary Poppins returns or the return of Mary Poppins or okay. Mary All Poppins right. is revenge or some shit. I don't know, <laughs> but I believe it's supposed to be a sequel. Okay. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. And, and you know, what do I, I think? I'd, I think I'd be less worried about star Wars fans, not seeing star Wars for Avengers movie than it would for Mary Poppins film. I agree. But, uh, well, the thing is, is Star Wars fans are gonna see the Star are gonna see Star Wars. For it to be oh, yeah. a billion dollar plus movie, the general public needs to go see it too. That's true. You know, and I think going up against Mary Poppins, the general public that's gonna see Star Wars will still see Star Wars. The general public that wants to see uh Mary Poppins will see Mary Poppins going up against infinity war. I wonder if that is too much of the nerd general public where the general public that wants to go see superhero movies and sci-fi movies, you know, it could get a little mixed up there, but who knows? 
And I think that could only hurt their numbers in the first week because, dude, I'd go see Avengers and Star Wars. Like, you kidding me? Like, that's an I'd excellent day to me. My schedule. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, for me, it's not an issue. I'll go see Infinity War once. If it's amazing, if it's the best comic book movie ever, I might see it twice. But Star and what Wars. We're really talking about our, the family that's going to just see one movie a month. Right. You know, like. Right. And then and that's where it becomes kind of interesting and even more interesting because it's Disney versus Disney. So, but at that point, does Disney care? It'll be interesting to see. We got your money now. Right. It, there's a there's a fair bit of distance in between them. I think there's a month or over a month. But you know, Justice League comes out this November. Star Wars in December. Do we want? Is that are those the two blockbuster spots? Like it's either summer or Christmas. Uh, that seems to be sort of moving it, back in the day. It definitely was Christmas movies and summer blockbuster season, but it seems to be changing a little bit. Like, you know, Deadpool came out in like February and it did crazy. Logan came out in March. It did crazy. Right. Um, so I, I think that's starting to shift a little bit, but that definitely was, you know, the way for a long time, Christmas season and, and it, summer and blockbuster like, season. It feels like Christmas movies got even more popular lately. I feel like the Christmas movie, like epic Christmas movie thing, really kicked in with the Lord of the Rings movies because those always came out around Christmas. Yeah. All right. Next up, we got two more emails. Next up, and this will be of interest to our buddy Steve. Our buddy Steve is a huge, uh, what do you call it? It's It's not the expanded universe. Buddy Steve legends? loves books. And Nowadays, some... yeah, it's rebranded as Legends. But well, no, what the... do you call the stuff now? Like, Oh, canon. Canon. I don't, I don't know. I try not to distinguish it because of the one continuity that they're talking about. But right. New, so some people like to say new canon, but whatever. Right. Brad. Brad Love, our good buddy Brad Love. Hey, guys. I was listening to the latest now this is podcasting and they were talking about the new star wars adventures comic from idw in case you guys don't cover it it apparently is going to be a bunch of short stories i'm personally super excited about this it may be exactly what the comics need also idw as a publisher does a lot of comic continuations of existing properties and they seem to know what they're doing more than marvel does with the current comics Just wondering, what characters would you like to see get a story? If they did a bunch of background character stories, would that be satisfying enough to make up for lack of background character figures like they used to make? This could be a goldmine if they have a bunch of background characters featured in their own comics. People could collect the cover covers featuring that character. That would be fully sick. Do you think they would even focus on other characters or continue to focus on main characters, even though a better story would be if less, if it would be a better story, if less significant characters were used, may the force be with you. So, um, Steve, do you read the comics? Do you, I know you read the books. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've fallen off the comics. <laughs> Me too, uh, man. And, and that's, that's not, for, that's not for a, I'm not trying to in. I'm not trying to uh, say that, that that's a quality issue. Um, I got involved with the comics, the Marvel app on my iPad. It was great. That, that automatically download. And then like a week or two ago by, I'd be too busy or something. 
I've looked. There's like, you know, 15 new issues. I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to get through these? Yeah. And then I read a couple I didn't, I didn't dig. And then I just, I just stopped buying them. Um, but from the story perspective in these, uh, these short stories, I'm not sure how well they would sell because people, people love the, love the main characters, but these side characters, the, the real small bits that we've gotten in, uh, in movies or rebels or clone wars, even focusing on something like that would, for me would interest me more than another story between episode four and episode five. And, you know, Luke encounters Vader for the 13th time before he gets to Bespin. That's, you kind of nailed my feelings on it. Like what would interest me is if you focus on, let's say they give us a story about Captain Athano, the guy in the red that we saw in uh, the force awakens in Maz's castle. Like a, it's a badass character to design. So, you know, an artist could knock the look out of the park. It could look cool. And plus, it would be neat to know more about that guy. I know they did one short story about him leading up to The Force Awakens or shortly after, maybe. But, you know, to see him in comic art in action, that could be cool. You know, I would read the fuck out of a story about Colonel Mieber Gascom. I like that dude. I know people hate that arc in Clone Wars, but I dig that little fucker. Um, you know, it, it, I think it would be cool, like you said, would it be the best-selling comic? But I think it, if they do good stories and use these minor characters, then the annoyances I end up having in the comics, like you mentioned, Darth Vader and Luke are fighting for like the fifth time before Empire Strikes Back. Luke meets Boba Fett and has to be blinded because they can't have seen each other before Empire. You don't have to worry about doing that stuff if you stick to the side characters. And then that only builds the universe more and gives more cool backstories and stuff to these characters and makes the, the universe feel more alive. So like when you watch The Force Awakens and you see Captain Athano, you're like, that's not just a cool-looking background guy. That's Captain Athano, and he went on a fucking bounty hunting adventure with, you know, Steve Dick Yeah, you Butter. can be that guy. Right. Like, you, you can fill it in. Well, I'm not going to tell everybody, but it'll be in my head. It's not like we'll be sitting there watching, and it'll be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, Will, did you know? Hey, you know about that guy right there? Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what? That was actually some of the stuff that I liked about the old legends, those... Tales from the Cantina books that would have a short story oh, yeah. about Ponda, Ponda Baba and Dr. Eva's and, and stuff like that. It was neat. It gave it, a, you know, a lot of texture and stuff. Um, Will, are there any background characters that you would be interested in? And, and what do you feel about the prospect of some comics or something just sort of covering background characters? I'd love background characters. Again, comics isn't a medium that I deal in at this point in my life. But um, I've said this before, like animated short stories, those amalgamation animes, um, you know what I'm talking about? Kind like of. The, the, the Animatrix and oh, the Halo one, the Batman one, the, I think Marvel has one. They're all short stories, animated short stories done by different animation studios. And, you know, I, I think that's really neat. Uh, I, I would like those background characters and stuff like that 
that that would really be awesome to me. And just because comics isn't a medium that I deal in anymore, but um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, background background knowledge and fleshing out the universe through those characters would be awesome. You know, um, the I guess the I don't know if they're bounty hunters. The two dudes that um, Finn was gonna barter. Yeah, one of those is Captain Athano that I was talking. Oh, okay. about. the guy in the Captain red. Athano. Okay, yeah, and he's then, a pirate. Uh, Maz Kanata. You know, I'd like to know more about Maz and what she was up to. Well, I know she's kind of a main character, but and we'll probably get more of that coming up, maybe. But you so, know, her history. You know, they announced that new animated series, Forces of Destiny, uh, at Celebration, and it sounds like it's kind of what you're talking about. They're going to be these little. I think they said maybe like 15 minute. Uh, short animations and each one of them is going to be about a different character. It's going to be focused mainly or solely from what I understand on sort of the uh, women characters of Star Wars. So there's going to be one with Hera where she's fighting, uh, I believe in the battle of Endor. And these are all considered Canon from what I understand. There's going to be one about Ray. I believe they've said there's going to be one about Maz and the other cool thing is they're getting all the actresses and, and people that play those roles to reprise them for these. So Daisy Ridley will be doing Ray and all that stuff. So it's kind of like what you're looking for, but more on a main character basis. Yeah. And the um what are the the two factions that show up to to kill Han Solo? The Conja Guavian and the yeah, Conja Club and the Guavian Death Squad or whatever. Right. Those would be cool background, you know. Yeah, like, I could I awesome. could I could do for seeing more of those guys for sure. All right. We've got one last email and then we'll let you guys go. Uh this is from our buddy Anil from Chicago. Hey Halls and Will. I was completely surprised when Lord and Miller were fired from the Han Solo standalone. Even though Lucasfilm did not see eye to eye with the directors, I was looking forward to a new creative point of view for the movie. However, with Ron Howard being named as the new director, I believe this movie will be even stronger. Some of his past films like Apollo 13 and Angels and Demons have some absolutely stunning shots, especially shots that include architecture. In any case, what are your appearances or what are your opinions on the changes? Um, I think we kind of covered that in detail. I, was about to my say, friend. I hate to say that we covered that already, but, <laughs> but it sounds like we've covered that. Yeah. I mean, I'm stoked. I wish, I wish it hadn't happened. And honestly, if Ron Howard was going to direct a star Wars movie, I would have preferred he'd do one from soup to nuts, beginning to end. Um, right. I would have been, is stoked. there something saying that he couldn't like, no, I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll be so stoked with this. They'll be like, Hey, you, you want to keep you going? This? You want to do a Boba Fett movie, Ron Howard? Do you want to do whatever, whatever the fuck? Do you want to do, do your Han? Own well, look, if if Han Solo was really successful, and they wanted to turn this into a Han Solo trilogy, they could very well try to get him on board for part two. Didn't even. I'm just think afraid about that. they're going to sink too much into this movie to have trilogy. You know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. You know, this movie comes out and makes another billion, billion and a half dollars. I think there's a good possibility of at least a sequel. Um, you know, if it I don't comes know how they tanks. keep making them Transformer movies. And those things are, like, they make so much money and they're so not good. So apparently this movie has had the lowest opening of any Transformer 
movie to date. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean anything considering it's just Friday now. We have the whole weekend. I don't know if it's opened internationally yet, but that movie's going to make a ton of money in China. China saves the Transformers' ass every time it comes out. They do I mean, huge the Transformers is the example of a franchise created to sell toys. Like, that's the whole reason it exists, right? Yeah, I... I think so. I mean, pretty much. Not so much nowadays, but the original. Mm, Transformers toys are still big. They, are they really? Yeah, man. Uh, not Those so much. things just seem so damn complicated. I don't know how you can make toys. I mean. Not not so much toys from the movies, but Hasbro is smart and they do like, you know, collector's edition versions of Optimus Prime that look like him from the cartoon. I got you. And, okay. and, you know, like the old school one, but like done nicer and, and stuff. So I just there's, I think it's such a shame. Yeah, they should be. They could be really good. And they're just unfortunately not. Do you fuck I with the Transformers? Bay to stay the fuck away from my childhood 80s cartoons. Do you fuck with the Transformers at all, Steve? Do you dig those movies? Uh, I enjoyed the Transformers as a child. That animated show was great. And. I watched the first couple of Transformers movies, and my kids, my uh, my seven-year-old started watching them, uh, I don't know, six, seven months ago. And you know what? I'd walk into the room, I'd look up, and I'd see it was a Transformers movie. I'd have no idea which Transformers movie it was. Seems like It seems like an eight-hour Transformers movie, if you just... And it's all the same stuff. And I can't ever tell what the fuck is happening in the a- action scenes. Like maybe oh I'm my just God. old. Like, right. But it, it, I just never know what's going on. Like the action it's is like, so hard to follow. It's like they're break dancing and doing backflips, and I don't know. It's it's like just banging a couple of metal pans together in front of my face, and like I don't know. Just, you could you compare you compare the way they transform in these movies. With like 15 million moving parts. Yeah. Can we compare it to what it used to look like and how simple it was? It, It's completely crazy. It, I mean, it's fun to watch a little bit, but I mean, not look, great cinema. Am I going to watch The Last Night someday? Yes. I will put myself through that torture, and I'll bitch about it <laughs> afterwards. But I know that shit's going to show up on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or something, and I'm going to be like... I guess tonight's the night. Transformers the last night. Let's check this shit out. Because uh, I want them to be good. And you know what? I I, I don't know that it holds up because I haven't watched it in years. I genuinely did sort of enjoy the first one. I thought the third one was even kind of decent. But that second one and then the newest one with Marky Mark. Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> I'm just so mad. Like... <laughs> Michael Bay, stay away from my childhood. Like, back the fuck up off the Ninja Turtles. Get away from the Transformers. Like, find something else to do. Like, find other things to blow up and and hot girls to film. And stay the fuck away from my childhood. I'll kill you if you do a fucking Thundercats movie. Uh-oh. <laughs> that was a legitimate threat. Like, I think Will just got on a list. I'm on the Michael Bay Secret Service list. Yeah. Yeah. Thundercats. Yeah, I don't want him near Thundercats or He-Man. Yeah. Stay away from that. Stay away from that shit. Alrighty. Well, that's it for our emails and stuff, and I think that'll do it for us tonight. Steve, buddy, thank you so much for joining us. The pleasure was all on the side of the internet, let me tell you. Whatever, man. It was good to have you on. It was very nice. 
yeah, you, uh, you, like I said, I was telling Steve, I don't think there's going to be much news. And boy, was I wrong. And thank you for our song, by the way. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. It's UNG money. It's so much fun. Um, Put that on. I, I, I try. I try not to play it in the house. <laughs> my, my daughter caught me like I was listening to Blue Harvest in the uh, the kitchen one weekend doing dishes, and she heard the song come on, and she came running in and said, "Daddy, is that you?" I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> <laughs> that is not <laughs> go in the other room. <laughs> no, who me? No, <laughs> <laughs> that's some other maniac. <laughs> But uh, do you have anything else you'd like to promote or anything before we... Oh, uh, your Facebook group just started their own podcast, did they not? We did. The The Alliance of Star Wars Fanatics on Facebook just launched a little podcast. Uh, a bunch of our admins got together. G-Money, Gerard Bear led that off. And uh, we just got onto iTunes and um, Podbean. I think there might be a couple others, but I'm not running it. I'm gonna get involved. I'll be on there, but it's a fun, it's a fun little thing. The Voice of the Alliance is the name of it. Just same name. old kind of thing. People talking about Star Wars, positivity, good stuff. Well, awesome, buddy. Yeah, you guys should go out and check that out. I was just about to ask you if we could look forward to hearing you on there, but it sounds like you're gonna get in the mix. So I'm excited. A bit. Uh. And I think that's going to do it for us this week. If you guys like our Star Wars Podcast Award winning theme song, please check out the band who are kind enough to donate the music. They are Stoned Cobra. And you can find them on iTunes, Spotify, and at stonedcobra.bandcamp.com. And we will see you guys next week. Next week we're going to cover the new Amy Henning Star Wars video game that our good buddies over at Making Star Wars have been dropping some serious knowledge about. Uh, If you guys want to do a little pre-reading on that, you can check out makingstarwars.net for all that info. And um, and that's what we'll be discussing next week. We just, uh, you know, we're running a little long, so we're going to wait till then to cover it. Um, And hopefully, better news next week. Hopefully not so much uh, crazy shit going on. But until then... Uh, This has been Blue Harvest, and I have been your host, Halls Burkhart. And I'm Will Witten. And And I'm Steve D. Mundy. Steve D. Fuck yeah. May the Force be with you. (laughs) May the Force be with all of you. May the Force be with us.